close to 5 million people in Canada live in poverty. While many are fortunate to have a house to live in, they often lack the means to furnish it properly. That's where Furniture Bank comes in. With the mission of breaking the cycle of furniture poverty, the organization redistributes furniture from donors to individuals struggling to make ends meet, including women and children leaving shelters, the formerly homeless, Canadian newcomers, and refugees. Since it launched 25 years ago, Furniture Bank has provided over 100,000 people with the gift of a furnished home. It's also evolved significantly over those years, and today, social enterprise is embedded into its mandate in impactful ways. To learn more, we speak with its fearless and innovative leader, Dan Kershaw, next. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs working on challenges in their communities and around the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Dan Kershaw, executive director of Furniture Bank. In our conversation, we discuss the issue of furniture poverty in communities across Canada and the uniquely innovative solutions the organization has adopted to tackle it. We then chat about the importance of seeing challenges as opportunity, leveraging corporate allies, and the many other lessons he and his team have learned along the way. Poverty, while some would say it discriminates, it doesn't. People are coming out of all sorts of crises. And when they come out of those crises, they do not have the financial resources to furnish a, a unit. And it's about four $8,000 of free cash flow that somebody needs to build a home from nothing. And no social program has that. And that's why Furniture Bank came into existence 25 years ago. You use the term furniture poverty. How would you define how bad it is? And I'm just trying to get some kind of sense of context and, and, yeah, and so stats if we have any. The, there aren't a lot of stats. The UK has a, a similar reuse network like Furniture Bank. Mm -hmm. uh, they've been operating 30 years. They have much more research. So if I apply UK ratios to yeah. Canadians, we're looking at about a million people every year that they may have an apartment, but that's how, you know, Sister Anne, when she started the charity, before it was like a legal charity, uh, it was going in helping Somalian refugees. Mm -hmm. And she walked into a home and there was a 13-inch television, black and white television on the floor, four little kids sitting around it, uh, a milk crate, and a pot. And those are the possessions of a family of, of five. Right. It's not about homelessness. We, we are helping all individuals coming out of crisis, whatever that crisis may be. So we work with CAMH, we work with refugees, we work with women's shelters, we work with Indigenous, LGBTQ. So it's as they are leaving that crisis and they're getting into stable housing, Right. it's at that moment they need a furniture bank. Now, one of the things that we're trying to do is if, if the number is a million or two million or whatever it is, poverty, the poverty number, they think it's 13% of Canada. So my 1 million number is low relative to poverty. But it's a spectrum. Um, not every family that's coming in here has 100% nothing. Some of them may have a mattress. Some of them may have a dresser. Um, so for us, it's capturing the community, which is both business and uh, households, and making sure goods that still have 
life, you know, too good to waste, uh, gets captured and turned around. Uh, in in our case, is uh, comes here into Etobicoke. Families choose build their homes in our showroom, and then we deliver it the next day. So we have a seventy two hour cycle time. Wow. So we're we're very businessy. Yeah. And very logisticky while we're trying to provide maximum choice and maximum access for the communities that we're serving. So it's it's a double sided pressure. And you know, for me personally, it's when you meet the family that we served th- thirteen years ago, because for us as staff at Furniture Bank, we see them it, when you include the delivery team for about an hour and a half, and then they're gone. But when we have uh, former clients call us to hire our social enterprise to come remove their furniture that we gave to them 13 years ago. Those are special days when I'm presenting at a university conference and the grad students are arguing and the room goes silent because one of the grad students shuts them all down, explaining that she would have lost her family had Furniture Bank not been there. For us, that's the story by story impact. So let's take a step back. And I'm just wondering about the evolution of Furniture Bank. So it started as a charity back then. Um, At what point did the social enterprise start up? And can you um, define what exactly the social enterprise does? Furniture Bank is a federal charity, has always been. Um, Our objects are, for an entrepreneur like me, read like it's just a playground for social enterprise opportunities. So an important thing for listeners is the for charities to have a social enterprise uh, think of it as a business activity it has to be linked and related and and subordinate to your charitable right. objects so in our case if i get more furniture i give more away so there's no uh constraint to how big we can make it as long as we're flowing it back into the community we actually have many earned income activities. Okay. So the big, the biggest one is our furniture removal uh, service. Every yes. community have in Toronto's case, 75 junking companies, which translate into 300 junk trucks driving around the city every day. 25% of what they pick up is furniture. They race to landfill transfer station and toss it and they will charge $750 for a a full truck. That's option one for people when they say, what do I do with, I'm moving, I'm downsizing, I'm, I'm, I'm. So we all have, I call it our moments of furniture. Uh, We insert ourselves there as when you have a moment of furniture, your other option is call us. We will charge you for this equivalent spaces of a junker, $750. But those funds help offset the cost of our social employment program. Because mm-hmm. 60% of our staff are coming from at-risk populations or underrepresented populations. You don't pay for HST savings. You get a tax receipt for the furniture you're giving us, which usually offsets whatever yep. we're charging you. We don't sell the goods that we're being given. We give them away, and we give them away in about 72 hours. So if we could get everybody to be rational, run through the decision tree of Junker versus Furniture Bank, we'd be very busy. right? Um, So that is our primary social enterprise that generates the majority of our operating funds, covers 50% of our operating needs. We're about a $4.5 million um, organization at this point. When did that start up? Sorry, before you continue. 2010. Thank you. Okay, continue. So we started with that first truck. So we're now 
we're we've got three trucks being delivered this year so it's one of them came to, oh not delivered one of them came to me to pick up it was very excellent exciting. yes thank you yes, wonderful yes. you got to experience that social I loved enterprise it. yes we have a cost recovery social enterprise for deliveries mm -hmm. uh, for so for clients who are coming in and selecting their furniture um none of them have the majority of them do not have their own transportation so we offer a uh, a cost recovery uh, delivery service flat fee that'll make sure those the items that they've selected get into our trucks and get delivered into their units. Oh, nice. It's our corporate uh, volunteer program. And I guess a forever mission to teach companies that it, charities are not obligated to provide free events for companies. We charge companies $1,500 a day to come into Furniture Bank, to the workshop, to repair, refurbish, and get items into the charitable stream for families to pick hmm. for groups up to 20 or so in within Furniture Bank. And we have another site uh, just around the corner, in effect, where we've had groups of up to 75 that are in the process of assembling furniture for delivery. That's an important piece. And then there's this uh, furniture banking support service model. Taken this uh, IT platform that we use to run the charity here in the GTA, mm -hmm. but make it accessible for all uh, organizations that are furniture banking. Oh, nice. Now your listeners are saying, I'm not a furniture banker. But the reality is, is that anybody who's in housing, they don't just stop at housing. Here are keys, family, in you go, you're on your own. Right. They're sending, they're setting up their families to be successful. So the customers I call cousins, we have Matthew house in Ottawa, refugees. We have Redwood uh, park communities in Barrie, homelessness. We have Oya in Winnipeg, indigenous first peoples. And we have, you know, Parker street food bank. Uh, we have Homestart foundation, all of these cousins, they are all coming at the type of poverty. In some cases for all populations and for in other cases uh, as part of their normal programming and housing supports i'll use barry as an example um, tim and rhonda the founders they were creating housing and then when they successfully created housing it was oh no we have housing we need to furnish it right and there's the mad scramble of finding the beds and the dressers and the da 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 I said, well, why don't you come down and see what we do? Because this is all we do. We don't do the hard thing, which is create housing. Mm. You know, and we showed the model and that was capturing the quality goods in a way that you could repurpose them back into the community quickly and efficiently. We help them create their furniture banking program mm. on our system. So our vision is, you know, take some of the benefits of a federated model or a franchise or a franchisee model without all of the the complexity and work, not interested in compelling a charity how to run itself, but we all have common systems, impact measurement, inventory, moving information. In our case, we have a very successful social enterprise. We already know how to sell uh, a charity selling a social enterprise service at a market rate that can compete dollar for dollar with junkers. We do that every day. And now we provide that service. We, if we handle that nationally and then pass the bookings to those uh charities so they essentially being on the network they get a social enterprise revenue stream along mm -hmm. with the flow of goods they need for their program 
And that's part of the work we're doing now is teaching everybody that if you're in housing and you provide it furnished, you're already furniture banking. You just don't know it. Right. And that if you want to scale or simplify that particular activity, this is what this platform is intended to do. It's amazing. So our hope is that, you know, you know, somebody in Vancouver says, I want a furniture bank. We would say, great. Do you have space and the internet? And if the answer is yes to those two things, then it's actually not hard to spin up a furniture bank. We've got a service contract with the city of Toronto. So it's not, it's not a, uh, a gift. It is, we are contracted that as the city shakes loose uh, housing and it's empty, mm-hmm. that families moving in are guaranteed that they're moving in with the assets that they need to call it a, to have a functional home. Um, and that's, that's continued to grow. So that's about you know, 2,500 families a year. So about half of the families that we support are coming through uh, our uh, social procurement uh, contract. I guess that this is the other social enterprises. Um, our chief sustainability officer, Anna Lee uh, Zawiak, she, uh, back in 2018, 19, she bumped into uh, one of the IKEA sustainability reps, mm-hmm. uh, leaders, and they were at a circular economy uh, working group and everybody wanted to talk about straws and forks and the two people dealing, look, who cared about big things that really fill up landfills Yes. essentially turned to each other and said, well, let's, why don't we just go do our own thing? <laughs> I'm going to fast forward five years and there's a, there's a whole story behind that, but we are now, uh, Canada's first charity social enterprise that is IWAY certified, which means technically we can go try and get work from any IKEA location in the world. So it's mm. IKEA's certification standard. We have a, uh, a social procurement contract with IKEA so that as historically in 2018, if you went to IKEA mm-hmm. and you purchased a mattress and you brought it home, heck, if you just took it into the parking lot and took off the plastic, and then turned around and returned it, it would be put in a vehicle and taken to a recycler to be destroyed. Yes. Today, in the GTA, all return mattresses and Van Blinen and a few other projects are, they, IKEA hires Furniture Bank as a reuse service. We capture these goods, we process them the way we do, which is, yes, this is good enough that somebody we love, we would allow them to sleep on that. Mm-hmm. In the case of linens, we have them clean like mm-hmm. a hotel would. And for IKEA, what was historically being 100% of re- returned mattresses being destroyed, they're now 100% is going to furniture bank. 80% is good enough, quality enough, that we can actually give it to the families. Hmm. And what about the rest? And we send it to the local recycling program. Yeah, okay. Now so, that's such a great program, yeah. Because if you ask every company, what do you do with your... You know, have you thought mm-hmm. about, they don't see charity as a sector as a solution right. to the problem of their returns. And we've built out another significant revenue stream, but more importantly, a significant flow of quality mattresses so that everybody's getting um, quality uh, goods that way. And IKEA is now pulling us across the country to our cousins on the same platform. 
I think that's fascinating. I love that initiative, by the way. Um, could you see yourself doing that with other companies like Sleep Country Canada or anything like that? Wait, were you listening on our phone call yesterday? Yes, we <laughs> are. Uh, yeah, we're, but it, it's teaching. The department that's usually responsible for recycling or what to do with returns is an operations team. Right. And the problem is usually given to the sustainability team to solve. Sustainability team has no budget. Operations is about efficiency mm. and cost. For you to say, show up as a, we're, we're a charity social enterprise and we can do it better, faster, cheaper. And you can get ESG reporting out of it. They look at you. No, not possible. <laughs> so it's a slow process. So because recycling is just a nice word. It's a polite mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. But in our case, when we're going into apartments where children are sleeping on floors, where people are using milk crates as tables, not one family, but tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of families, knowing that businesses are destroying goods every day. That's the disconnect we're trying to change. Yeah. Because if that, if we all woke up tomorrow and every household and every business knew, if you had reusable goods, you could end this type of poverty and not create a gray market, which is always the reason we mm -hmm. could never do that. It's, it's solvable. And then it's just a logistics exercise of matching. And that's, as you can tell, why I'm, I'm, I get very excited because it's actually doable. Yeah, I love that. Um, you talked about what I would perceive to be both an exciting opportunity as well as one of maybe your bigger challenges is the education piece. Would you say that is one of the bigger challenges? It's one of my biggest opportunities. Right, um, okay. You know, having generative AI in my life now has made colliding concepts that have never come together mm -hmm. possible. You know, the term homing, we're trying to make a, a, a word that is the, the act of taking empty housing and making a making it a furnished home. You know, the case study with Ikea has been very, very helpful mm -hmm. because, you know, Ikea did it. Like the parallel is, well, if Ikea can do it, why aren't you? Exactly. But we also are living in a world where we have greenwashing. We all, we all know what it is. We also have green hushing. Green hushing is nobody wants to highlight what they are doing for mm -hmm. fear of being criticized. Right. And that is really where the reputation is important. IKEA was this way for, we've been working with them for five years now. Mm -hmm. And it's only this year that uh, we show up in their sustainability report. We are mentioned at their press conferences. We co-presented at the partnership conference and the number of projects that are IKEA related, it's filling up, but it took five years. Once the business or the household has the light bulb moment of why destroy it, why not make the community better, then it's easy. If that was your, you said, greatest opportunity, is there a challenge that you would still call a challenge or is everything to you an opportunity? Well, everything I always think is an opportunity, but <laughs> the, the biggest challenge because we're about 80% self-funded, we really use the, the funds that we can find from the foundations. I, I'm, I'm, it's a broad brush, but almost the seed capital mm -hmm. to start the next pilot pivot project to create the, uh, our own er earnings because philanthropy is a moment in time once a year, right? But every day here in the, the Etobicoke location, it's up to 20 families that we need to solve. And the need is about a hundred here in Toronto. So the challenge is how to find the financial resources to scale quickly. Mm -hmm. In the absence of that, we are bunting. We are 
generating our own resources through so, uh, social enterprise services for mm -hmm. the most part. Mm -hmm. um, we're leaning into social finance mm -hmm. as a possibility. Not there yet. We've, we've dabbled. Okay. Um, but that's the challenge in that yeah. it, it's as long as it takes us, um, it's 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 going to take longer than it should have. Then it should have. That then had if, if the resources were just there. Okay. Any lessons learned that you wanted to share? A lot of them is really embracing uh, progress over perfection. Mm. Um, it my very narrow vantage point of the sector as a whole, and with the team that that I inherited when I joined, was that the sector is very afraid of failure. The sector wants to have all of their ducks in a row before they act. They really, really want to act, not not for lack of wanting, but then they would get into this mode where the product, the solution, the documents, the fundraising, whatever the it is, would have to be perfect before they'd launch it. Yeah. And uh, my team is quite fed up of me. I chant progress over perfection, which means an 80% right solution that shipped out launched with customers with donors faster gets you more momentum because mm -hmm. once it's out there then you get feedback mm -hmm. then you get opportunities for conversations and then you find new things but we're not overthinking is this the right model we're letting the market decide if it's right and then we pivot and i think you know having this mindset of you it can't be perfect because we're all trying to change the world mm -hmm. And every step along the way, it's new territory. So there's no way you can get it right the first time. So why don't we get it right the first, second, third, and fourth time? Get it out into the market and learn as you go. And that's that. a lot of our success is just rapid prototyping, failing fast, learning from it, trying the next experiment. And again and again and again. And sometimes you find stuff that really works. Yeah. And then you double down and you triple down and you quadruple down. Um, and... And that's, I really, I think a big part of the success of the team is that it's not just Dan telling, they've actually, it's become part of who they are of, of knowing that it's okay to experiment, to make a difference in this community. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Brown.